coming back this afternoon. So pray for him if you would. And of course, my my wife's uh, folks are here, uh, John and Faye Pickens, and it's great to have them visiting with us. And and uh, <clears throat> sooner or later, we're going to talk them into moving to Michigan. But uh, but anyway, he came in on Tuesday. We had a blizzard on Wednesday, and uh, <laughs> we're just trying to kind of ease him into it. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> Revelation chapter number three. Then pray for my wife. She's out of commission today. She get uh, she get. Uh, sick uh, last night, and she's uh, uh, a little bit on the sick side. Hopefully, she'll be able to be here tonight. Don't know that'll that'll happen, but uh, that's what she wants to do. But uh, pray for her if you would. Let's stand together, please. Revelation chapter three, and we'll begin reading in verse number ten. Revelation chapter three, <clears throat> in verse number ten. Of course, this is the letter that the uh, that the Savior uh, sent to the pastor of the church at. Philadelphia, verse number 10 is where we'll pick it up in the reading. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast. Notice what the next phrase says, that no man take thy crown. That no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out, uh, go no more out, and I will write upon him the, the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. I want to, again, uh, focus your attention <clears throat> on verse 11. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy <clears throat> crown. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject. Refuse to lose. Refuse to lose. And uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, this gathering of your children, this church body, this called out assembly of uh, baptized believers. I pray that you'd help us in these few moments that we'll spend together to learn uh, a truth that will uh, capture our, our thoughts and our hearts and that uh, there'd be a renewed determination among your people uh, to hold fast that which we have and uh, that which we ought to have. <clears throat> I pray that <clears throat> in areas where we may be lacking, that you'd help us to uh, kind of bolster uh, some areas in our own spiritual walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I'll apologize ahead of time for my voice. And I, I told Brother Dave just before I stood up to preach a, a moment ago, I said, if I have to stop, if I lose my voice, just pick up where I leave off. That's, uh, it's, it's just real simple. But uh, we'll, we'll go with it and trust the Lord for it. <clears throat> Everybody likes to win. I love to win. I, I, I love to win. And, uh, you know, I was at the game yesterday, and I would outlined this message before that. In fact, I preached a similar message in chapel just a couple weeks ago to our young people at the, in the, academy, in the uh, school. And... Uh, and uh, different, different thoughts, different outline here, but the, the same basic principle. And uh, yesterday I was reminded uh, during the championship game of, of how, how great it is to win. And uh, everybody likes a winner. 
And, uh, you know, yesterday, of course, the scene after everything was done and the, the final horn went off and, and we won the game. I think the final spread was five points. And, and uh, you know, you got the guys there. They're, they're holding the, the state championship trophy. It's got the net hanging on it. And, and, uh, and man, they're, they're having pictures made and everybody's, you know, hugging everybody and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, <clears throat> I ruined a perfectly good suit yesterday, uh, you know, just uh, just – How'd you ruin it, preacher? Just sweat, nasty sweat. I mean, it stinks to high heaven. I didn't even take my sport coat into the house last night. I just left it in the car. I said, man, it stinks. I'm just going to leave it in here. I'll take it to the cleaners next week. <laughs> but, uh, but we enjoyed that and uh, cutting down the nets and all that stuff. It's just, it's an awesome feeling to win. I love to win. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the emotions of competition and athletics. And uh, I tend to believe that as much as I enjoy winning, I despise losing to a greater degree than I enjoy winning. The hurt of losing to me, and I'm, I'm just testifying for a moment, but for me personally, the hurt of losing is even worse than the thrill of victory is good. It's, I, I hate to lose. As much as I love to win, I despise losing. I hate it. I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the loyalties I have as far as sports are concerned, I kind of inherited them from my, my, my parents, my dad specifically. And uh, there's a couple of teams that we disagree on, but that's okay. I'll never tell him. But, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I, you, know, you know, he'd sit me down in front of the TV and, and we'd, pull for, we'd pull for a certain team. And if my team lost, I would cry. I mean, literally, I would, I would lose it. I would just, I would go nuts. And, uh, you know, I, I've tried, I've matured a little bit since then. <laughs> I shed a few tears. I just don't go nuts. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was reminded of that when I was, uh, we sat down and we watched the Super Bowl. And, uh, and Stephen, a uh, little red here, he's the big Carolina Panthers fan in the family. And, and uh, of course, they were playing the Broncos, and Carolina was, the, they were chosen to be the, the Super Bowl favorites and all that. And, and uh, when it became apparent that it just wasn't going to happen, I felt bad for him. I, I mean, I did. I just, I felt terrible for him. And I'm not a big Panthers fan. I was pulling for him just because, uh, really because he was pulling for him. But uh, I, felt, I felt terrible for him because I remember what it was like as a kid watching your team lose and that, that gnawing, just, just terrible feeling that you had when you lost something. Losing is horrible. I hate to lose. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in being a good sport when you lose. You know, uh, I, I believe our team this year was, uh, we lost, what, four games? Something like that. And, uh, of course, when they lose, we say, all right, all right, guys, you know, go through the line, shake their hands, you know, hey, you did a good job, you know, God bless you. But don't enjoy it. <laughs> don't enjoy it. You know, truth is, losing is part of life that we have to deal with from time to time, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. I hate losing. Uh, I, you know, I'm for being a good sport and having a good attitude when you lose, but I don't want to be a good loser. I just don't want to be, yeah, I just, and you, know, you understand what I'm saying. You know, smile and grin and bear it, you know, I'll bless you. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, in fact, <clears throat> Brother Glenn, you're not going to like this illustration. I'm just going to tell you right up front. <laughs> Years ago, <clears throat> when I was in Bible college, the Chicago Cubs, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> the, uh, the Chicago Cubs, uh, they were, they, 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 somebody coined the term the lovable he don't want to say it. <laughs> they, were, they were called the lovable losers. You remember that, Brother Dave? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've never been able to pull for the Cubs because the, just, the whole, <laughs> just because of the whole, the whole idea, you're pulling for the bunch of lovable losers. Are you kidding me? I don't want to be called a loser. 
And uh, now they had a good team last year. And of course, for the Glens, preseason predictions for the Cubs are world champions <coughs> uh, for the first time since 1908. That's okay. Uh, <coughs> but, um, but anyway, <coughs> they're called the lovable losers. That's terrible. That's a terrible thing to have said about you. I don't want to be called a loser. Here in the book of the Revelation, Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, let no man take thy crown. Let no man take thy crown. Or if I may paraphrase that passage, that verse, that statement, he said, you folks ought to refuse to lose your crown. Refuse to lose your crown. I want to speak to you on that subject for the next few moments. Refuse to lose. Just refuse to lose. There are some things uh, that are well within our control to hold on to. There are some things that we ought to just have a dogged determination about this morning and say, you know what, by the grace of God, I'm not going to lose that. I'm not going to give that up. No man, nobody's going to take that away from me, and I'm not going to give it up. I am going to refuse to lose certain things in my life. And we could talk about a variety of things. I just picked about three or four of those things that, that I believe that, that the Holy Spirit would have us focus on this morning. But first of all, I want you to notice this. Refuse to lose your reward. Refuse to lose your reward. The case study or illustration for this is found in the text that we read just a few moments ago. The church at Philadelphia was a great church. I mean a great church. We, we uh, taught about the church at Philadelphia last Wednesday night. And, uh, and of course, we're, well, I'm not here to re-preach that message at all. This is a different uh, angle or so forth. But, uh, but the Bible says, in fact, Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, he said, Let no man take thy crown. What was their crown? It was their reward. Their reward. Let no man take thy crown. In fact, if you do a Bible study about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says that there will be several crowns that are awarded at the judgment seat. And the, the, uh, the passage here in Revelation, he talks to the church of Philadelphia and he says, Let no man take thy crown. Let no man take thy reward. Well, how in the world were they going to lose their reward? Well, I believe the answer to that question is the fact that this church had the reputation for being faithful. They had the reputation for being a faithful church. A, a church that stood true when, when other churches were, were kowtowing to, uh, to the winds of change. They were a church that had the reputation uh, of standing true to the word of God, standing true, being loyal and faithful and, and holding fast those things that they had been given. They stood true when others uh, compromised. And he said, don't ever let anybody take your crown. Stay true, stay faithful. I love the word faithful. I love the word faithful. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 6, the Bible says this, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can find. In Nehemiah chapter 7, and verse number 2, the Bible talks about a faithful man, uh, that Nehemiah was a, a helper of Nehemiah. He said that I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And then in Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 1, the psalmist cries out, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. A faithful man. Here we see that a faithful man is difficult to find. A, a faithful man is difficult to find. You know, faithfulness is one of those concepts that is not difficult to grasp, but it's hard to practice. I mean, when we talk about faithfulness, you know, we, uh, we have the mental capacity to grasp that concept of what it means to be faithful. We think about a faithful husband. 
Uh, and by the way, ladies, if you're married to a faithful husband, you ought to thank God for that. Thank God for that. Thank God for faithful men, who, uh, men that you can count on. A, uh, a faithful husband who provides for his family, who loves his wife and, and loves his children and, and, uh, and, and, and rears his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Thank God for faithful men. And we can grasp that concept, but sometimes faithfulness is just hard to do. It's just, it's just, a, it's just something that's hard to follow through with. Uh, it, it, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to find faithful people, folks you can depend upon, folks who do their best to keep their word. Uh, refuse to lose that reward that comes from being faithful. Just be faithful. Uh, you know what I like about faithfulness? <clears throat> Anybody can do it. Anybody can be faithful. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2 says this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful a man be found faithful anybody can be faithful you don't have to you don't have to be talented but you can be faithful uh, you may not be you may not be the best looking and of course none of us on the platform have to worry about that uh, but uh, uh, but we can be faithful we can be faithful you may not be the brightest you may not be the most talented. You may not be the most athletic. You may not be the most gifted. You may not be the most intellectual, but you can be faithful. You don't have to have any special uh, abilities to be faithful. No remarkable abilities. No, uh, uh, no, uh, uh, no things that, would be, uh, that, that society would deem as special, but you can be faithful. By the way, our society recognizes talent. We live, in a, we live in a culture, we live in a society where, where talent is magnified, whether it be athletic talent or whether it be musical talent or whether it be some other form of talent, but <clears throat> talent is highly magnified. And by the way, think about this, uh, talents came from God. We like to magnify people because of their talents when they had nothing to do with their talent in a lot of cases. Now, I, I do believe that uh, in, in, in many cases, folks have cultivated their talent and they've worked on their talent and they've, they've put the effort in and so forth. And that's admirable. I, I, I'll, I'll give you that for sure. But it's amazing how many people pat themselves on the back because of something that they had nothing to do with. Our society magnifies, uh, or magnifies talent. God recognizes character. God recognizes character. By the way, it takes character to be a faithful man. It takes discipline to be a faithful man. It takes some, I don't even know if this is a word, stick to to be a faithful man. <clears throat> somebody who just hangs on. Somebody who has that bulldog mentality that says, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to, I'm going to be there where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to, uh, to, to be at my post. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to serve my children. I'm going to uh, be faithful to my boss and, and to my job and, and to my responsibilities of life. Hey, that's faithfulness. Faithfulness. You may, not, <clears throat> you may not be the best and the brightest, but anybody can be faithful. Don't lose your reward by losing your faithfulness. Don't lose. Refuse to lose your reward. Number two, I want you to see this. Refuse to lose your joy. Amen. Refuse to lose, not just your reward, but refuse to lose your joy. When I think about a man <clears throat> who had every opportunity to be discouraged and despondent and to be down on life and to be a gripe gut, it would be the Apostle Paul. 
You think about the Apostle Paul and what he endured and what he faced and, uh, and how he was tried and how he was, uh, uh, how he was beaten and how he was imprisoned and how he was stoned to death uh, or stoned and left for dead. In fact, the Bible uh, implies that he actually did die. He was taken up to the third heaven. <clears throat> and, uh, and, of course, uh, God didn't allow him to stay there. He came back and, and, uh, and so forth. But you think of all the, all the negative circumstances that, are, that surrounded the life of the man that we know as the Apostle Paul. And if anybody had a reason to say, God's not been good to me, it may have been him. If anybody had a reason to say, you know, this doesn't add up. Here I am trying to serve God. Here I am trying to, uh, to, to start these churches and to win souls and to serve the Lord and, and do these things that I believe God wants me to do. Why doesn't God make it just a little bit easier for me to do that? He could have had a lousy outlook on life, but here's the the Apostle Paul, a man who refused to lose his joy. In fact, the book in the New Testament that most exemplifies the word joy is the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, where the key verse and and the whole verse center, the whole book centers around the thought of Philippians 4:4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The whole book talks about joy from different angles and different aspects and so forth, but it was penned by a man who was in prison when he wrote it. Huh, that doesn't add up, does it? Who are you, Paul? I'm a happy man. (laughs) I'm a happy man. In fact, if you read, you don't need to turn to it uh, right at the moment, but Acts chapter 26, uh, you see the story of, uh, of the apostle Paul appearing before a king, King Agrippa. And, of course, uh, Paul, was, uh, he was being tried for different things, and, and uh, he was about to be sent to Rome to face uh, Caesar there in Rome and be tried there and, and to preach the gospel there and so forth. That was his desire. But, uh, but in Acts chapter 26 and verse number 2, he said this. He said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Now, how is that possible? He said, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. He said, King Agrippa, you're looking at one happy fella. I'm a happy guy. You know, it certainly wasn't because of his circumstances. And you see, sometimes we mess up and sometimes we lose our joy. We, uh, we're careless with our joy because We like to attach our joy to our circumstances, and that's not what God wants us to do. We, uh, so often our happiness, our joy, and I understand there's a different happiness is attached to happenings and joy and so forth, but but let's just kind of package it all together as joy for the sake of the message this morning. And, And sometimes we're guilty and we're careless with our joy because our joy in our minds is contingent on our, our, our happenings, our circumstances. That's not what, that's not how we're supposed to live. Here's a man, the Apostle Paul, who had joy in spite of his circumstances. In spite of his circumstances. In spite of the fact that he was in prison. In spite of the fact that he was uh, 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 beaten. In spite of the fact that he, uh, he, he served time in so many jails all across Asia Minor. And, and he was beaten and he was shipwrecked. And, and uh, this bad circumstance and that bad circumstance. All those things happened to him, but yet he never lost his joy. You don't have to lose your joy. In fact, I want you this morning to refuse to lose your joy. 
we could we could go around the room this morning and and uh, and talk about people and and, and uh, people could give testimony about negative events or negative things that have happened in your life in just the past few days. And uh, man, we could uh, we, we could we could cry our way out of the building today <laughs> with all that stuff. But I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll tell you something else. <clears throat> if we start naming our blessings one by one, it might surprise us what God's done. And we would have plenty of reason to say, you know, God's been good to me. God's been good. And by the way, God has been good to you. God's been very good to you. We'll talk a little bit more about the message tonight and about realizing the goodness of God. But what I'm saying is refuse to lose your joy. Don't let circumstances rob you of your happiness, of your joy. Can I tell you something? Bad things happen to everybody. Bad things happen to everybody. You don't believe that? The Bible says this. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Full of trouble. It's in the book. God said, hey, it's part of, it's part of our DNA. It's part of being a human being. There's trouble. You're going to come across it. <clears throat> but your trouble doesn't have to rob you of your joy. Your circumstances don't have to take away your smile. <clears throat> Your lot in life does not have to take away your laughter or your happiness or your zest for life or your enthusiasm. Hey, life is good and God is good and he's given us so many wonderful things. Let's, let's have some joy in what we know God has done for us and not accentuate the negative so much. You know, sit down and, and think about how good God has been to you. Paul said, I think myself happy. Refuse to lose your joy. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I think there's a little secret in that verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice, notice what he says, in the Lord. Not in your problems. Not rejoice in your sorrows. Not rejoice in your trials. Not rejoice in this. And he said, No, rejoice in the Lord. That's, that, that's the source. You know, someone made the acrostic of joy. You know, they took the, the, the letter J, that uh, Jesus first, and then the O, other second, and then yourself last. But we, we get all that messed up because we're so focused on ourselves and, our, and what we want and our circumstances and making life comfortable for us where our joy is depending on us first. It doesn't work that way. Jesus, others, and then you. What is that? Joy. It's joy. Refuse to lose your joy. Then I want you to see number three. <clears throat> refuse to lose your integrity. Refuse to lose. Number one, we said refuse to lose your crown or your reward. Number two, refuse to lose your joy. Number three, refuse to lose your integrity. I want you to think about the Bible character, Job. Job. Job lost everything. You talk about refusing to lose things. Job lost just about everything that a man could possibly lose. But I want you to notice with me in Job chapter 2 and verse number 9. Job chapter 2 and verse number 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Mrs. Job came to her husband in the aftermath of Job losing just about everything that a man could possibly lose. And, uh, and she said, honey, why don't you just curse God and get it over with? Now think about this. Job lost, okay, he lost his children. He lost all of his material wealth. He lost his health. 
He was uh, uh, stricken with just a, 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 dreadful, a dreadful health condition. He lost just about, I mean, he had 10 children, all of them killed at the same time, in the same event, on the same day. And I want you to imagine in your mind 10 caskets lined up in front of a church building like this, and all of them your children. That's hard to grasp. That's hard to wrap your mind around. Job lost it all. But I want to submit to you this morning, there was one thing that Job never lost. And his wife pointed it out here in verse number 9 of Job chapter 2. She said, dost thou still retain, he still got it, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Job never lost his integrity. And I submit to you this morning, <clears throat> refuse to lose your reward and refuse to lose your joy. But we live in a day and age where a lot of people have lost their integrity. Their integrity. Refuse to lose your integrity. Integrity is moral uprightness. It's enduring honesty in dealings with others. It is enduring holiness toward God. And Job lost everything that a man could lose, but he never lost his integrity. He never lost his You know, you could build a whole message around just that thought by itself, but let me just suffice it to say in the waning moments of the message this morning, oh, how we need men and women of integrity again. Can I help you with something? Our country was not built on politicians. I understand it's an election year. And, you know, the primaries are going on, and, and there's this guy, and he's trying to tear down this guy, and this guy's tearing down this guy, or this lady's tearing, this woman's trying to tell there's someone else. <clears throat> but may I remind all of us, our country wasn't built on politics, on politicians, on people who said things and then had no intentions of following through on what they said. That's a lack of integrity. Our country was built on honesty and morality, and decency, and honor, and the principles found in that book right there. Hey, that's what the United States of America was built on, and, and the United States of America will, will never be the great uh, country that she once was until we get back to the honesty, and decency, and, and moral integrity that we once had. Someone once said, America is great because she's good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she'll cease to be great. A lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. Hey, I'm saying, <clears throat> I'm saying we, need, we need men and women of integrity. Hey, our country has lost its integrity because the people who make up the United States of America have lost their integrity as a whole. Hey, it's, it's, it's me and it's you. Hey, if we're part of the problem, then praise the Lord, we can be part of the solution. And if, if we're going to find integrity, we, we need to find it right here in the house of God. It needs to be found in your house and in my house. It needs to be found in the church house. It needs to be found where, uh, amongst people who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Integrity. If your integrity has been compromised, I want you to decide right here and right now to start rebuilding it. Start rebuilding it. Refuse to lose your integrity. You know, oh, pastor, my, my integrity has been dinged up a little bit. Well, let's get it back. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. 
Your, your, your testimony is something that <clears throat> it takes years to build. It takes years of care and diligence of, of walking guard around it to build it. And it can be ruined in just a few moments of careless behavior. A few moments of carelessness. Hey, let's, let's start rebuilding it. Refuse to lose your character. Refuse to lose your integrity. Let's start working on that again. For the sake of our children. For the sake of our country. For the sake of our grandchildren. Let's become people of integrity. Refuse to lose it. Then I want you to see the last thing. I hasten because of time. <clears throat> I say refuse to lose your testimony. Refuse to lose uh, your integrity. Refuse to lose your joy. Refuse to lose your reward. But finally this morning I want to say this. Refuse to lose your soul. Refuse to lose your soul. In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8 verse number 36. Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The most precious thing that you possess is not a house. The most precious thing that you possess is not a vehicle. The most precious thing that you have that you possess is not a retirement account or some kind of annuity, or 401k, or whatever investments you may have uh, uh, acquired or accrued over the years. No, the most important possession that you have is your never-dying soul. Your never-dying soul. And Jesus said here in Mark chapter 8, he said, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? If you, if you could become filthy rich and, and, and be the wealthiest man in all the world, and die and lose your soul. As we close the message this morning, I ask you this, I beg you this, refuse to lose your soul. Refuse to lose your soul. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? <clears throat> I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about what's going to happen to you after you breathe your last breath on this side of eternity. I'm talking about what happens to you, what happens to your never dying soul, because your soul will live forever somewhere. Your soul will live in eternity somewhere, whether it be <coughs> in heaven or in hell. Whether it be in the presence of God in heaven or an eternal place of damnation called the lake of fire. Refuse to lose your soul. Refuse to lose your soul. You say, well, pastor, how in the world can I guarantee that I don't lose my soul? There's only one guarantee that you don't lose your soul, and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. Hey, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't, you don't uh, guarantee the keeping of your soul because of good works. It won't happen that way. Oh, but pastor, I'm a, I'm a good person. I have no doubt that this room is filled with good people. I have no doubt about that at all. Some of the finest people I know are in this room this morning. <clears throat> but the only people in this room who are going to spend eternity in heaven are saved people. People who have trusted Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Refuse to lose your soul. Refuse to, uh, refuse to uh, approach death. By the way, all of us are going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And hey, <clears throat> whatever you do with Jesus Christ in this life will determine whether or not you lose your soul or not. I beg you, don't walk out those doors risking the loss of your soul. Don't do it. It's not necessary. How can I guarantee that, Pastor? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Under the condemnation of your own sins. Under the condemnation of your own sins. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages or the payment or the penalty for my sin is death in hell. But the good news is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 2,000 years ago, came to this earth as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. He grew up, never one time cursed, never swore, never had a dirty thought, never one time did anything he shouldn't have done, never one time did his feet take him to a place where he shouldn't have gone, never one time did his mind wander and have a dirty thought that he should not have had. He was the sinless, perfect Son of God, and he uh, became a man, and at, at the age of 33 years, he died on a cross, not because of his sins, but because of my sins. Not because of anything that he had done wrong, but because of what you and I have done that's wrong. He paid the penalty for my sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But by me. How can I guarantee, Pastor, that I don't lose my own soul? Come to Jesus. Come to Christ. Understand that salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Not Jesus plus good works. Not Jesus plus church attendance. Not Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus and him alone. That's it. That's it. Refuse to lose. Refuse to lose your own soul. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.